0: In this episode, we'll discover where in London is ground zero for the Knights Templar? Who was the famous king whose residence was the banqueting hall? Where should you go to get the best 360 degree view of London? Are there free attractions in London? And what is the location of an old speakeasy style bar? Here's a hint it's hiding in the luggage. Travel to Europe is off limits for the time being, but we can still keep the flame of wanderlust alive through the virtual vacation with Guidester, the weekly podcast where host Jack Bauman, founder of Guidester, and travel enthusiast Arnold Stricker dive into new destinations, exploring their unique history, culture, and special vibe. You will also get insider tips about these destinations you won't get from other sources. Now let's join our host, the Guidester himself, Jack Bauman. Jack, when I was traveling last year, we stumbled upon a museum that wasn't even on our radar. And we walked by it, and we're like, what is this? And it was very surprising because there was nothing in any of the manuals. You have a real good inclination to find these hidden gems in cities and countries. And that's what we want to talk
1: about today is hidden London. Where do you find these things about hidden London? Well, I love Europe. Every city has something hidden about it. Europe is built on layers and layers of culture and history over thousands of years. And London is is no exception. London was founded by the Romans, Londinium, in the first century AD. So there's a lot to see that's been packed. So the, the short answer is you just got to do your research or you have to be lucky enough to go back to London several times, you got to see the major stuff. you got to see Buckingham and Tower of London and Hyde Park, uh, St. Paul's, uh, Westminster, it just goes on and on. Once you get that out of the way, then you have time to explore. That's why I do what I do. These personal travel guides cut through all that noise. So if you're in London four or five days, you don't have to do all this extra research. If you've got a day or two that you've allotted to go explore some of these local areas, you can do that. Just being able to know where it is and how to get there. One of the cool things about London is... These hidden gems are often right in the middle of the touristy areas. You turn a block, you go through a little street alleyway, and then there you go. St. Dunstan in the East is one of these examples. It's in between Monument and Tower Hill, right in the middle of London, hidden in, in plain view. It's an old Gothic church. I believe, built by Sir Christopher Wren, who built all these slew of churches in the 1600s after the Great Fire of London. So we should get into that, the Great Fire of London and how it changed the landscape of London. Anyway, it's like a secret garden in the middle of touristy London, and it's this garden built into this old Gothic cathedral, and it's right in the middle of central London. And you'd never know it was there. In fact, I was just reading an article about it recently, and this woman, this Londoner, had lived in London for years, and she never even knew it was there. So London especially is full of this kind of stuff. A Londoner
0: didn't know that was in the middle of London.
1: I don't know if she was born and raised in London, but she's lived there for a decade. Camden Passage is another one of these things. Not Camden Town, which is in the north, which is a really cool hipster area. But Camden Passage, it reminds me of Harry Potter. You could walk right past it, and it's an alleyway. It's basically a shopping street. And it, there's an alleyway that leads to the shopping streets. So Portobello Road is another big road, huge shopping street. A lot of tourists get there. But this is like a small little road off another little road that you would never know it was there. London is full of that kind of good stuff. There's just so many good hidden spots in London. We'll have to get through to the course of this podcast.
0: So are these things all historical in nature, or
1: are they uh, vary? Are they musically related? Are they art-related, architecturally related, or related to the royals? Good question. St. Dunstan in the East is both historical, because it was a cathedral or a church, and I would say it's cultural and natural, because it's a garden now. So in my personal experience, a lot of the cool hidden gems that you'll go see are going to be historical in one way or another like St. Dunstan in the East. There's a lot of hidden gems. If you're out looking for just local bars, you just go to the right areas. If you're out looking for some cool kind of natural areas, there's some smaller, lesser-known parks. London, I think, has a lot of really cool gems that are historical in nature. A couple of my favorites are Temple Church. Temple Church is off between Fleet Street and the River Thames, so it's in that main central corridor. It was built by the Knights Templar in the 12th century. There's a rotunda, the great round rotunda in the old uh, sepulcher in Jerusalem, they built their church based on that. So part of the church is, I think it was the only or one of the first rounded churches, rounded knaves in London. So you have get that really you know, cool sort of Eastern effect, and Knights Templar built there. This is like ground, zero ground zero for the zero, Knights right. Templar. And it, it's in this little corridor. It's actually a little courtyard. It's the cutest little courtyard. It's off Fleet Street. Fleet Street's a major thoroughfare in London, you walk down this little side street kind of alleyway, and then opens up into this really pleasant little square. And And then there's this church from the 12th century, eight 900 year old church, just boom, right in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the commercial district of London. I'm sure London just grew around it, and that's why it's a little hidden. Exactly. That's what happens is you've got major sites like Westminster and St. Paul's and the Tower of London that the city is built around it, but there's a lot of breathing room because those are major monuments. Right. Seriously, St. Paul's and these other ones are much bigger than Temple Church, but the sort of courtyard that it sits in is not very big. I think there's a couple little benches. It's basically kind of commercial office space around it, bigger, higher-rise buildings. You've got this little courtyard with a couple little benches, and then you've got Temple Church. It's so cool.
0: So if you're a Knights Templar kind of
1: follower, this is a must-see for you. Yes, it, it really is. Even if you're just a, hey, I want to do something that's not on the top 10 list of London. Again, Temple Church is a well-known church if you're into history, but I bet if you took 100 American tourists up into London, maybe one out of 100 would have been a Temple. That's why we're talking about these hidden gems of London.
0: So if I have a specific interest in art or music or literature, where are those hidden places that I would find valuable on a trip to London? And why would I find them valuable?
1: London really does have just an abundance of history and amazing pieces of art all over the city, both known, well-known and hidden. There really is just a lot to see. There's just music, art, literature. There's an abundance there in London. The Banqueting House is a hidden gem for history, art, and architecture all in one. It's the first to be built in the neoclassical style in Britain. So that's point one. It's the only complete surviving building of Whitehall Palace, which was the principal royal residence between 1530 and 1698 when it's destroyed by fire. So this was actually the palace that King Henry VIII would have lived in in London. Wow. So a lot of monarchs lived there for almost 200 years, about 170 years before it was destroyed by fire. So this is the only remaining building of that palace. And there's beautiful reliefs, painting, the architecture, the neoclassical style. Again, it's right there in the central part of London. So it's easy to get to. One other note on this, this is where King Charles I was executed in 1649. Hmm. So King Charles was the only king to be executed. This is a big deal, executed by the people. This was the Civil War of England right. when Oliver Cromwell came. So this is a big deal. This is the building, the room that he actually was executed in. So pretty cool. And it's not going to appear on basic tours, will it? No, the banqueting house probably wouldn't. I would bet you there's definitely tour guides that may be added to their itinerary and maybe on some hidden parts of London. But no, if you do you go to London, and you're going to see the typical stuff. If you're going to see Westminster, you're going to see the Tower of London, probably going to do the London Eye, which I think is a waste of time. That big Ferris wheel, right. I think it's a waste of time and money. If you want better views for cheaper and a better experience, go to the to- top of St. Paul's Cathedral. So you can climb the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral and you get unobstructed views. So in the London Eye, you're in a confined glass box in st paul's you go up to the top climb some stairs and then you're just 360 degree views of the top of the tower and you're in central london now that's hidden information too but it's hidden this is what i love about it too now again if you had a good tour guide or a good personal travel guide it would tell you this but a lot of people just go and they visit st paul's and they get in and out it's right there you buy tickets at the bottom of the lobby and you just go up and once you're up there it's a self-guided thing i think Last time I was there, it was like eight pounds, eight, nine pounds. Compare that to 35 or 40 pounds. So you're talking, let's say, 15 bucks versus like $50. Wow. And there's no line. There's people up there with you, but it's not a huge weight, whereas the London Eye, you'll be waiting in line.
0: So if you want to get a good view of London, you go to the top of St. Paul's.
1: You go to the top of St. Paul's. That is the best view of London, best bang for your buck, best view, and you're climbing up through the inner workings of the cathedrals. That's why people should be listening to this podcast. They're going to get all this hidden information. (laughs) That's exactly right. Virtual vacation with Guidester. That's what it's all about. Apsley House is another one of these, which is uh, a stately home right in the center of London where you can see just unbelievable amount of artwork from the neoclassical age. Another one worth mentioning, which isn't hidden, but it's worth mentioning because London is so Tower of London, Tower Bridge, St. Paul's, Westminster, Buckingham Palace. A lot of people don't think of London for art. They think of Rome, Paris. The National Gallery is an art museum in Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar Square is one of the major squares in London. It houses a collection of over 2,300 paintings dating from the mid-13th century to the 1900s. You can experience the story of European art, masterpiece by masterpiece. Some of the most famous art in history from Van Gogh, Monet. It's spectacular. It's right there in central London. And many of these museums and galleries are actually free. London is well known for its free attractions. I think the British Museum is free, almost positive it is. And a lot of these other galleries are free too, which is fantastic. So the other one I'll mention is the National Portrait Gallery. The National Portrait Gallery, which is in London housing a collection of portraits of historically important and famous British people. So going back stretching centuries, you have these actual authentic portraits of monarchs and, and aristocrats and politicians. The portraiture gallery is not very well visited. I've been in there several times, and I've never waited in line. People go there, but it's not one of the top five or ten things to see in London on any normal itinerary. What are some other ones, Jack? We'll go through some other ones briefly, because there are a lot. So one, which seems minor, but it's actually really cool, it's called the Tulip Staircase. It's located in the 17th century Queen's House in Greenwich. Greenwich is technically a separate city east of London. Greenwich is where we get Greenwich Mean Time. So this is where time, as we know it, was invented. So zero latitude is Greenwich, England. GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. So we're on GMT, most Western countries are. But there's a thing called Queen's House that has a sweeping tulip staircase, which was the first geometric self-supporting spiral stair in Britain. So it's really architecturally important. It's also beautiful. It's called the tulip staircase. It's a blue wrought iron railing with flowers in it thought to be tulips, which is where the staircase got its name. So it was built for Queen Anne of Denmark, who was the queen to King James the First or King James the VI of Scotland, who was the first to unite the crowns. A lot of people think that the English are the ones that took over Scotland and there was a lot of bloodshed and a lot of war, for sure, on both sides. That's true. But the first king of England and Scotland was actually Scottish. The offspring of Queen Mary, King James, who was the first King James of England, but he was King James the sixth of Scotland. He's the one that brought the crowns together in the 1600s. And a century later, I think in 1707, was the official union of the crowns. So we're getting off topic, but King James was really the one that brought the crowns together. Again, not English, Scottish. I love to tell Scots that because they feel independent. They feel a little bit imposed upon by the English. You got to remind them that, well, look. There were About a, the heritage. Yeah. And there were a lot of Scots. A lot of Scots today are actually proud British. Now, a lot of Scots more and more are proud Scottish. But the reality is it wasn't just this country overtaking another. The, the English and the Scottish really coexisted, especially at the aristocratic level, for centuries and centuries. Going back well before Bonnie Prince Charlie and Culloden Field and all that stuff, again, Terrible atrocities did occur. I'm not taking away from any of that. But even going back to before that, Edward I and William Wallace, there was a lot of collaboration at the higher level. Anyway, this tulip staircase, really cool piece of history and beautiful architecturally. What are some things that would be surprising
0: to you or I or other people that would be going to London?
1: There's actually quite a bit. The first thing that comes to mind is a place called Little Venice. So you're thinking, London, Venice. London doesn't have canals. It sure does. Seriously. It sure does. No. So I've you literally- You have
0: gondolas too?
1: Uh, you don't have gondolas, but I guess maybe they could. You got some kayaks. Certainly you got, <laughs> you got the kayakers in there and some, I wouldn't say swimmers, but yeah, you, you got some boats and they're not nearly as extensive as the canals in Venice. But uh, there is a place in London called Little Venice. It's a tranquil neighborhood not far from Paddington. Really pretty canals with unique narrow boats. Not what you typically think of when you think of London. It's possible to actually book a narrowboat cruise. that will take you all the way down to Camden Lock. So there's one I want to mention for anybody that just wants to look more into this, Jason's Trip. It's the original London Canal Tour, and it's the boat that used to carry cargo on Britain's Canal Network. So the boat itself is a traditional boat over 100 years old, and now it's used for tours. I think it's about 45 minutes one way, but you can go and see this and walk around if you want. But if you really want to get that authentic experience, you get on Jason's Boat Tour. Another kind of cool thing, which I I think is worth mentioning, that's become more popular in London recently, secret bars, it's a really growing trend. So these are like underground bars or bars behind restaurants or bars within department stores or things like this. The, The one that really comes to mind, it's right off Oxford Street. It's called the Luggage Room. It's like an old 1930s style speakeasy cocktail bar hidden away in the bottom of a Marriott Hotel. If you stay at the Marriott, I think you can actually enter through that. But you don't know that. The the real kind of front entrance is at the foot of this hotel. It looks like a kind of a, not an alleyway, but like a corner, dark corner. You don't even know there's a door there. And you approach it, and you've got a knock on the door. And they open the door, and their 1930s kind of apparel. And you go through like a corridor and through another corridor. And then you step down, and it's at the base level of the hotel. So there are some windows. But you don't know that's there when you walk past the hotel. You just think it's part of the hotel. But it's this little secret, they call it the luggage room, but it's this little secret cocktail bar.
0: Very cool, very cool. Jack, do these particular hidden tours cost more than regular tourist destinations?
1: No, I'd say actually many of the Hidden London Gems are free or a small admission fee. So a, small, a museum, Temple Church, for example, that we mentioned is free to enter. St. Dunstan in the East is free to just hang out and, and go. Banqueting House, I think, has a small admission fee. A lot of these areas are... Just areas of London you need to know about, free areas, free attractions, cooler, more local parts. You simply have to know about them and and how to get there. Areas like Bishopgate in London, Camden Town. My favorite area, Southwark, which is in the southern part of London, is a really cool area. So in addition to those attractions that we talked about, which are tucked away in the major areas, there's other more local areas that you can go to, Southwark and Bishopgate. Southwark actually has another cool little piece. It's called Borough Market, and it's from the 19th century. It's 150-year-old original market where you can go and get stall food. The whole little area around there is, is super cool. So that area is actually cheaper, much cheaper than getting a pint or a meal in the central areas of London. So not only knowing where the attractions are in the major areas, but then going to these other areas that are really cool. Like I said, Bishop Bishopgate, Southern Borough Markets. Because those aren't in London proper. So they are in London proper. This is good context is you've got Greater London, which is made up of 32 boroughs, plus the city of London, which is a separate little entity. So the borough is like a little district, maybe like we call like in Soho in, in New York. So you've got these boroughs, and that's all Greater London. So everything I'm describing is then Greater London. Okay, But then you've got what you might call the central corridor or you, just the tourist areas like Westminster, Piccadilly, Covet Garden, uh, Leicester Square, the city of London itself, Uh, these are where the major touristy areas are. But getting outside of those areas is is quite easy. Going to Camden Town, which is like North London, still in Greater London, but it's not as nearly as crowded with tourists as Westminster. Piccadilly Circus is probably one of the most visited sort of squares in London. Famous with all the screens and and that statue in the middle. It's a really cool area. Soho's near there too. And Soho actually used to be I'm not going to use the word dodgy, but it used to be a little bit more, let's say, local, artsy, and maybe dodgy at midnight, but it's been gentrified in the last few years. Soho is a great area of London, but slowly these sort of more local artsy areas have been gentrified. But you can still go, like I said, Camden Town is like that. Southwark is a cool little area. So London is still just ripe with the local and the the hidden gems within the major touristy areas as well. One other spot that I'll mention that's, I think, very affordable is Sky Pod Bar, which is a cafe by day, cocktail bar by night, offering some of the best views of the city from above. So you can hang out, have a little tea, coffee, light snacks, and then in the evening have a little cocktail. So it's not necessarily a hidden gem because it's well-known to Londoners, but it's a gem that has largely eluded tourists. A lot of tourists just don't go there. My first couple trips to London, I didn't even know it existed. And it's a great way to see another perspective of the city of London without having to, again, do like the London Eye or something super touristy.
0: Now, we've talked about some things here on the podcast that are really related to adults. But if I'm taking the kids along and I want to go to some hidden gems in London, are there those available that children are allowed?
1: Yes, London is a very kid-friendly city. There's plenty of amenities. There's easy ways to get around. The public transportation is phenomenal. The two, but if you have to take a cabby, and there's black cabbies everywhere. Getting around, it's safe, especially during the day. There's probably some areas that I would avoid at dark. I, I wouldn't equate it to certain cities here that might be more kid-friendly because London is one of the capital cities of the world. So this is going to draw all kinds of people at all kinds of times. But just like with any big city, I wouldn't let my kid run around at night in New York City either. So that's the only thing I'd see. Treat it like a big city, but yes, it's very kid-friendly. So
0: the kids, they'd obviously like maybe the Knights of Templar place we talked oh, about. Oh, there
1: is a lot of museums and things that could bore kids, but there are a lot of interactive things. So like the British Museum is, is an example. It's a museum that has a lot of artifacts from around the world, but they are doing a better job setting, setting up interactive Things sometimes it go a little too far, and it can be boring for the adults because it's almost geared towards kids. But largely speaking, they've done a good job at making it sort of family friendly. So then this is where you would hang out, Piccadilly Circus. That's a very touristy area, but that's more of a family area. Gotcha. You're gonna have your shopping areas. You're gonna have a lot of Ripley's Believe It or Not, Wax Museum type of things if you want to do games and whatever. So there's a lot more kid kind of things that might be interesting in those tourist areas like Piccadilly Circus and Oxford Street.
0: Okay. What was the one hidden gem in London that surprised you the most?
1: That's a good question. So for me personally, because I'm a history guy, All Hallows is a church. I think it's the oldest church in London. That really blew me away. Not a lot of people get to. But I'd say because of the whole encompassing area, Southwark, we'd say Southwark is how is it would be spelled. Southern Cathedral, it's certainly not hidden, but not a lot of tourists get there because this is south of the River Thames. This is outside of the major touristy areas, not in the city of London or Westminster. So depending on who's listening, it may or may not be considered a hidden gem. But it's definitely off the beaten path enough that it's not going to be in your normal repertoire. Right. Cathedral, I think it's the oldest cathedral in London it's like stepping back in time. It's not in the city of London, surrounded by skyscrapers. It's off to its own little area. And nearby is Borough Market, which is that old market and from the 19th century. So it's this old market nearby, surrounded by some really old school pubs, like some real London pubs. And the cathedral itself is unbelievably beautiful. It's a gothic style cathedral. There's artifacts in there, the museum inside the cathedral, an operating cathedral. You can attend Mass there if you want, but you can also do an evening song. They do these evening songs at around 5 p.m., and I walked in there for one. It was actually so beautiful. It was a long day of sightseeing, but I fell asleep, and I was holding a, a pamphlet. Wow, it gets just dead silent right. in, in between the, oh, and the, hood, oh, you know, right in between the middle of that, I dropped my pamphlet. Everybody could hear it. It was like this dung hit the corner of the little evening song booklet, and it just reverberated, and it woke me up. I was in the front seat, so that's a funny, embarrassing moment. But the evening song in, in Southern Cathedral, and then after that, going and having a little pint near Borough Market. For me, was just a great London experience. I've been to London maybe 20 times now. I I lived just in Cardiff, east of, or west of London, rather, about two and a half, three hours. So I was able to go for these little weekend trips. But every time I go to London after that evening in Borough Market one-two punch, I try to do that every time I go.
0: That is really experiencing London.
1: I think so. It depends what you're into. But that's the cool thing about London is everything. There's an old saying, Arnold, if you get bored of London, you're bored of life. Mm. That's an old saying going back, I don't know how long, but I think that's quite true about London. If you get bored of London, you've gotten bored of life because it really is something, whether it's history or art or music, the live music scenes in London are fantastic. Natural Beauty, Hyde Park and St. James, these other parks, St. Dunstan in the east, like we had mentioned, these kind of little cool overgrown gardens and these old buildings, the nightlife scene, if that's your scene. Good food, actually, London. England doesn't have the best rap for its cuisine, but fantastic restaurants if you know where to look and reasonably priced if you know really where to look. So it has something for everybody. We've thrown back the covering on some of these hidden items here in London
0: and you've really described a lot of things that I would really like to see when I go to London. Thank you for listening to this episode of Virtual Vacation with Guidester. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our website, guidester.com forward slash virtual dash vacation. That's guidester.com forward slash virtual-vacation. Virtual Vacation with Guidester is produced by Motif Media Group. For Jack Bauman and Virtual Vacation with Guidester, I'm Arnold Stricker.